Isn't it great that we worship a God who is alive? We're going to kind of talk about that here in a little bit. But I wanted to uh, express uh, Juanita Henniger's family just wanted me to express to us how much they appreciate all the love and uh, support uh, and just what we have done for uh, Juanita uh, in all the years that she's been here. Wasn't hard to do, was it? Pretty easy with Juanita. Uh, and uh, we certainly, as has already been said, we will, we will miss her. Uh, just wanted to say a couple things about Kenya's uh, situation. Uh, it's it's kind of easier to say it to everybody than 300 times individually. Uh, but uh, yeah, we found out Wednesday that uh, she did have does have uh, breast cancer, but it was caught very early, and it's very small. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is it is an aggressive form of cancer. So uh, it will be treated aggressively. She's scheduled for for surgery this week, outpatient surgery, uh, to have the tumor removed and the tissue around it. And then chemo and radiation are expected uh, to follow. So uh, we are focusing on the positive. uh, And so we... Uh, just pray that uh, uh, all will, will go well and ask that you pray as well. Uh, you know Kenya. Her biggest concern is not for herself. Her biggest concern is because of the chemo and treatment and how all that makes you feel is that, you know, she won't be able to do for others, specifically grandchildren, uh, uh, like, she, like she wants to. So that's her... That's her biggest, biggest concern. And so uh, we, do, we do covet your prayers. She's not here this morning because one of the grandkids is having tubes put in his ears tomorrow in Fort Worth. So she is headed to Corsicana. Uh, Keller is having tubes put in his ears. So again, we do appreciate you and, and covet uh, your prayers. We're talking about worship uh, this morning. You know, it... it it just seems that there is something within man to want to worship something. I think it's something God put within us. But anthropologists may say something else. But you go way back and you find uh, uh, tribes and, and different kinds of people who, who did not worship God as, as we know him, as, as he's revealed himself to us. But there was always seems to be this desire to worship something. And it was either maybe something in nature or something they created themselves, which makes no sense to me. But that seems to be what uh, uh, was there, whether it was the sun or the moon or the stars or whatever. The whole idea that there seems to be something within man that causes him to want to worship. Now, we as Christians, we, we, we get that. Just like we sang about, our God, he is alive. We worship a living God. We worship a Savior who has risen from the dead. We don't worship a tomb. We don't worship a a gravesite. We don't worship something. We worship a living being. And there are lots of ideas about how to worship and why to worship and, and different things like that. And we're going to talk a little bit about that 
this morning. But within the scripture, this morning I want to look at at three types of worship that we see from scripture this morning. And the first one is what we would call or what Jesus himself called vain worship. In Matthew chapter 15 and beginning in verse 7, Jesus is speaking to the uh, uh, Pharisees. And he says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And here's the prophecy out of Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Now, when we think about worshiping in vain, the first thing we kind of need to do, right, is kind of define what vain means. What, what does it mean when you worship something in vain or just the word itself? And, you know, I could have gone to the dictionary and done all that, but, you know, I'm just going to give you, instead of Webster's definition, I'm going to give you Gibster's definition. Here's the definition of vain. It don't do no good. All right? It's all for nothing. Pointless. Useless. Some of you maybe, you know, you've worked, you've done something, you're really hard, and, and then in the end, you got nothing out of it. You say, man, I did all that in vain. That was, that was pointless. That was worthless. That's what it means. And what Jesus is saying here is that you can worship in such a way that it's pointless, that it's useless. And there is a part of us, I think, that kind of cringes at that a little bit. There is a part of us, at least me, that kind of says, not really, but kind of, says, well, God... You ought to be happy with whatever worship I give you. You know, you ought to be thankful. You ought to be happy that I'm even worshiping you. So why are you getting so caught up in the different things around this worship? Why, why would my worship ever be in vain? Jesus says that the, the, the honor of the lips was there, but not of their heart. You see, there has to be some Congruity? Is that a word? It's going to work. It is. I know incongruity, but you know, you kind of got to match up what's coming out of your mouth and what's in your heart. Your, your public verbal worship to God has got to be backed up by your everyday life. You see, if your everyday life is not backing up your public worship, then your public worship is in vain. It's useless. It's pointless. That seems a little harsh, doesn't it? But isn't that exactly what Jesus said? In fact, he quotes out of Isaiah chapter 29, but we can go all the way back to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 10, and you know these scriptures because I I like these scriptures. I've read them several times to you, so you probably know them by heart. But beginning in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 10, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Well, isn't it interesting that Isaiah is writing to Sodom? 
that was destroyed so many years ago. Some of you know where I'm going with this. He ain't writing to Sodom. He's writing to the Israelites. But he's comparing them to Sodom. Who, you know, lots of things God can compare me to. Not Sodom. Not one of the ones I want to be compared to. Listen or hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices. What are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, of the fat of fattened calves. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Could we substitute the word vain in there? Stop bringing me vain, meaningless, worthless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your new moons and Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. You think, you think this is kind of serious to God? You have, be, or they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Wow. God is saying, all this worship you are giving to me makes me sick. I'm tired of it. I am weary of all your worship. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Here's why. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. In other words, get your lives right. Do what I want you to do. Treat people right. And then you come and offer your sacrifices. Then you come and you worship me with a clean heart and a clear conscience. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount? When he said, if you are at the altar about to offer your sacrifice and you realize that you have a problem with a brother or sister or they have a problem with you, go ahead and offer your sacrifice because that's what's most important. Then go and be reconciled with your brother. I see a lot of shaking heads. Good. That's not what it says either. I'm, I'm messing with your minds today. We know what it says. You are there before the altar. You're ready to sacrifice and present your altar to God. Leave it there. Go and be reconciled to your brother first. Then come back and offer your sacrifice. Because if you offer your sacrifice first... What good is it? How can you come to God and present a clean, holy, righteous sacrifice of worship when you and your brother are at odds with each other? That won't work, Jesus says. 
And we want to make sure that our worship is such that it is, it has a purpose. There is a reason for it. There is a benefit from it. Jesus was saying, remember when talking to the Pharisees as well, he talked about you people. (laughs) You're like a dirty, nasty cup. And you clean the outside. You make sure that the outside's clean, but the inside is disgusting and gross. And you drink right from it. Ugh. Ugh. He says, that's what you are. Oh, you're all worried about the outside. You're all worried about looking good. You're all worried about coming and worshiping God. And your lives are a wreck. You don't follow my commandments. You don't follow my teachings. You don't treat your brothers and sisters right. You don't treat others out in the world right. And yet you want to come and look and worship. Your worship is useless. It's pointless, Jesus said. In James chapter 3, Jesus, or James talked about how that we bless God and curse man with the same tongue. You can't come in here. And sing praises to God. And go out and gossip and talk bad and use all kinds of language about your brothers and sisters or even other people. You can't can't do that. It doesn't work that way. First John, John said, we claim to be in the light yet we hate our brother. We can't claim that we love God. We can't come and worship God and hate our brother. Who was created in his image. It doesn't work that way. Matthew 25. We remember that. Remember when Jesus is separating. He's talking about the end of time. And, and we're separating the, bull, the, the, the sheep and the goats. You know. And saying to the ones on the one side. You know. You, 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 when I was in prison you didn't come see me. When I was hungry you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty you gave me nothing to drink. And the people are going to say what? When did we not do that? When did I not see you? And Jesus said, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Now, I'm going to read between the lines a little bit. If that conversation had been extended. But Jesus, I was at church every Sunday. I sang these beautiful praises. I did all these different things. I did the worship that I thought you wanted me to do. And Jesus said, that's not enough. That's not what it's all about. You didn't help people when they needed to be helped. You weren't a servant when you needed to serve. That's kind of what he said. Remember Matthew 20. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody that worships me is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But those who do the will of my father. And there'll be many on that day who say, but, 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 but Wait. I did all these cool things in your name. I worshiped you in all these different ways. And I will say to them, I never knew you. Wow. We want to make sure that our worship is not in vain. That our worship is not useless. That our worship is not pointless. That we are worshiping not only with our lips and our tongue and our mouths, but we are worshiping with our hearts and with our lives. That's what God wants from us. 
Luke 18, you remember the Pharisee, the publican and the sinner, the Pharisee, you know, the, the, the Pharisee goes up and he's, he's going to, to, to pray. And remember, he starts his prayer. First of all, thank God, I am thankful that I am not like that man. Woo! <laughs> that, that dude is a sinner. And I am glad that I am righteous and upright and everything else. And you remember the way that that is actually phrased? It says that the Pharisee prayed unto King James, prayed unto himself. What? No, he's praying to God. No, he ain't. No, he's not. He may think he is. But because of his attitude towards other people, because of his own real, uh, uh, feeling of self-righteousness, he's just praying to himself, not to God. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, specifically talking about husbands, but I think it obviously could work both ways. It says, basically, husbands, you better treat your wives right so that your prayers are not hindered. Huh? You mean I could be not treating my wife to such an right correctly to such an extent that God's not listening to my prayers? I don't know any other way to interpret that. If you got a better interpretation of that, you let me know. But that seems pretty straightforward. And I obviously believe it works both ways. But we can be living our lives in such a way that God will not even listen to our prayers. Isn't that exactly what he said in Isaiah chapter 1? I quit listening. God almost sounds a little childish, right? Like we used to do when we were kids. It's almost like God is saying, I ain't listening. I ain't listening. No more. Because of the way you're living your lives. So we do not want our worship to be in vain. The second kind of worship we see is ignorant worship. We don't want to be ignorant as well. Acts chapter 17. Beginning verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, his friends who had gone on in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as those in the marketplace day by day. With those who happened to be there, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to discuss, dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because God was, pre- or Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And does not live in temples made by hands. He is not served by human hands. And if he needs anything because he himself gives. As if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men. And that they should inhabit the whole earth. 
and he determined the times for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And so some of your own offspring and poets said, we are of his offspring. Paul said that the Athenians were a very religious group. And we know, we've studied about Roman and Greek mythology, and we understand, you know, that there was a god or goddess for, for everything. But the Athenians, they were, and you know, and we know from that mythology, that the worst thing you could do was offend a god. You didn't want to offend Poseidon, or he was going to capsize your boat. You didn't want to offend, well, that's as far as I can go. <laughs> I'm not any good with them gods and everything, but you get the point. And so the Athenians were so worried about offending a god that in their hall of gods, they had an inscription and a, and a monument, an idol to an unknown god. Just in case we missed one. Now, I see where they're coming from. But really? If I'm the God they've left out, and they make a monument to a known God, going to be any less... What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, huh? Offensive, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Is that going to be any less offensive? I'd rather they just didn't know about me than call me the unknown God. But anyway, they did that. And Paul says, let me tell you about the God. You've got all of these gods. You know all about Hermes and Apollos and, and, you know, all them other gods. You know all about them. Let me tell you about the one you say you don't know anything about. By the way, he's the only one that matters. He's the only one that's real. And he goes in and begins to say, he is the God who created everything. He's the God who gives us life. He's the guy that gives us purpose. He's the God that gives us purpose. And he tries to let them know that the God they were worshiping ignorantly is the only God there is. And we may think to ourselves, well, we're here. We believe in God. We're not going to worship God ignorantly. But I think we could. I think we could worship him ignorantly by not really understanding him. You see, there's a lot of confusion out there about God. About, does he love us? Or is he waiting to get revenge on us? Does he work this way or does he work that way? You know, and we study and we learn about God. And we come to know him better. I hope, I hope that all of us know more about God and are closer to God today than we were a year ago. Maybe even a day ago. I hope that no matter where we are in our lives, me included, that a year from now, I will know God better. 
I will appreciate God more for what he has done in my life. You know, two weeks ago, we were looking at that verse in, in Acts chapter 8, 1 and verse 8, where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And we talked about, about witnessing. We talked about one of the characteristics of witnessing is you have to have seen something. We can worship God ignorantly if we've never really felt anything for us in our lives. We never really experienced him in our lives. We can worship him, but we really don't know who we're worshiping or why we're worshiping. So we don't want to worship vainly. We don't want to worship ignorantly. But how we do want to worship is we want to worship in spirit and in truth. You remember in John chapter 4, in fact, we're going to talk about that tonight. Come on back. We're going to talk about the Samaritan woman. But as Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, she brings up a question. We'll talk more about why she brings it up tonight. But she basically says, you know, you Jews say you have to worship in Jerusalem. And our fathers say we worship on this mountain. Where do we worship? And Jesus said, believe me, verse 21. A time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Their worship was a little ignorant, Jesus said. The Jews worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, meaning it starts there. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I believe that when we're talking about, when Jesus is talking about worshiping in spirit, I believe he's talking about with our, with our whole being, with who we are. Remember Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2 says that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That is our true worship. Over in 1 Peter chapter 3, it talks about how that we are being built into a spiritual house offering spiritual sacrifices. Jesus is saying, or you know, what Jesus is saying is, I, well, the kind of worshipers God wants are not the kind who simply worship on the outside and yet are not right with God on the inside. God wants those worshipers who worship in spirit with their whole being, with everything that they are, Worship in spirit. But he said also, not just spirit, but spirit and truth. You know, God has always told his people how to worship him. He's always done that. And when they've taken it upon themselves to deviate... From how he's told them to worship, it has not gone well. I don't know what's wrong with Cain's sacrifice. But it was not pleasing to God. It was not what God wanted. And so God was displeased with him. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. I don't know what was wrong with the incense that they offered. But it was not what God had told them to do. And the fire came up and consumed them. King Saul, 
saw that it was taking the prophet a little too long and he was worried that all the army was going to run away. So he offered the sacrifice himself even though he wasn't a priest. And the kingdom was taken from his hand because of that. Go all the way to the making of the golden calf in the desert. I always think this is, this is an important, to me, I don't know, maybe not to you, but to me it's an important distinction. You remember Moses up on the mountain getting the commandments and he's taking a little bit too long. And so all the people come to Aaron and say, look, he's taking too long. Make us a God. And so he tells them to give him all his gold and everything, you know, like that. And, and according to him, he threw it in the fire and out jumped a calf, uh, you know. And so they're worshiping it. But notice, what, but then you, this is the important part to me. The night before, after the golden calf is made, he says, go prepare yourselves because tomorrow we will have a festival to the Lord. You see what Aaron was saying? Yeah, we're going to worship this calf. We've made this calf, but we are doing it in the name of the Lord. How'd that work out? God, not too happy about that. In fact, Moses is on the mountain and God is giving him, thou shalt have no other gods before me, make no graven images. He hadn't even given them the commandments. They're already breaking it. So we do worship in spirit, but we also worship in in truth. In how God has ordained our worship. So as we look at worship this morning, we want to make sure that our worship is not in vain. That our lives are congruent with with our worship. Otherwise, we're just babbling. We're just making noise. We want to make sure that our worship is not ignorant. That we have a relationship with God as we worship Him. And that we worship in spirit and truth. If there's some way we can help or encourage you this morning, we invite you to come now as we stand. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.